I never knew when we moved into this building how we were going to function with the only door to the back part of the church being right there on the stage. Um, I'm sorry if you've had to walk outside to go to the restroom, you know, that kind of thing and around, but I love, uh, I love watching those kids go across the stage every Sunday morning to head back to Children's Church. So, well, it is, it is good to be with you this morning. And uh, I know that there has been many, many times when I have told you that I was going to be brief. And I know there has been many, many times when you did not believe me. And um, so let me say one last time today that I'm going to be pretty brief. <clears throat> um, uh, just for the sake of uh, emotions and um, uh, just everything that goes along with that. I, I, I do want to start with a confession today. I want to start with a confession of the real reason that I'm leaving I know, you know, I've been giving you reasons and, and different things and my family and different things, but I need to, I need to tell you the real reason. And um, the real reason I'm leaving is that I only have five years of sermons. <laughs> and so I need to go someplace else where I can use all those again. <laughs> there is the internet. When it's Saturday and I'm struggling for a sermon, I try to stay away from the internet. So, uh, no, that's not the real reason, but it's funny. So, uh, here we are, um, five years uh, this month, and uh, during those five years, I know some of you travel a lot more than I traveled in my five years here, but five years of traveling back and forth twice a week at least, um, you know, there's, there's some things that never happened that I thought would probably happen. There were some things that never happened in, in my five years of traveling down here. I never forgot to bring my sermon. Every Sunday morning, just about every Sunday morning, I would find myself going, is this going to be the day that I get to a token and realize I left my sermon on my desk at home? Five years, it never happened. Uh, in five years, I never broke down. Never broke down on my way down here. Maybe this one's even better. In five years, I never got a ticket. Hey. There's some speed traps between here and there. You realize that, don't you? Okay. No tickets. And I don't have a, a, a scanner, right? Is that what it's called? Landon's got one of those things. But I don't have, I don't, I don't have a scanner. So uh, I'm proud of never getting a ticket. I never spilled anything on me. You know, I always thought about the fact that, you know, I come down here and what I'm dressed in, and then it's like if I was to ever stop at McDonald's or whatever and spill something on me and end up having to stand up in front of you with some big stain, it never happened. There's some other things that never happened over the past five years. I never got tired of free lunches. Bill, Charles, thank you for all the free lunches, and anybody else ever bought me a lunch. I never got tired of those free lunches. I... Uh, I never uh, got tired, Bill, of our friendship. 
Jimmy, I never got tired of you uh, making a beeline to me after every sermon. The service would end, and it would be like um, the parting of the Red Sea as Jimmy Kellogg (laughs) would come straight up this middle aisle, and he would grab my hand, and he would say something to me that I needed. Preston? Is Preston here? There you are. I never got tired of talking golf. I never got tired of talking OU. Blake, I never got tired of talking about the Thunder. I absolutely got tired of talking about the Patriots. (laughs) Shamar, I'm telling you, I I don't know what I'd do if I stood up here on Sunday morning and I didn't see you sitting over there. It meant something to me. And uh, some of these things, I, I wish I could name everybody off. And I, I, <clears throat> I'm gonna miss watching Caleb and Wyatt come in those doors. <clears throat> and Clay, uh, ironically, I know you had a long week. <clears throat> I'm sure it was a good week, but it was long. And so Clay comes up here leading worship by himself, which was just absolutely tremendous. And I want to tell him that uh, I know you played that last, last song for me. You know that was, this, this I believe is, is like always the song that I request to him. And Clay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll never get tired of seeing the parade of teenagers that you have on this stage. Um. That's part of our identity as a church, and uh, it's a good thing. As a preacher coming to church every Sunday morning, I usually have a lot of things on my mind. And uh, I always like, I'm always reassured when I drive up every Sunday morning and when I pull in the parking lot and I see Brian's truck. Because the thing you know about Brian is if Brian's here, it's going to get taken care of. It was always a comfort for me to walk in and see Brian's truck over there because I knew I didn't need to worry about anything else. Brian was on the scene. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Thank you, Brian. And Crystal, um, she wouldn't look at me when I walked in today. So uh, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate all your encouragement through the years. And... uh, the two of you, Brian and Crystal, are just so special. Michael, I uh, never got tired of our fairly lengthy phone conversations. <clears throat> I like talking with Michael because he's not in a hurry to talk. <laughs> and uh, most of the time we're all in a hurry too much. And I appreciate that. I could go on and on and on today with uh, different things that I think about when I think about each one of you. Um, One of the things that never happened in my five years is that I never got tired of coming. 
So because of all those things, I want to share a few things with you today. And as I said, I intend for them to be brief. I want to share some final thoughts with you this morning, some encouragement and even a couple of challenges. As uh, I speak to you individually and as a church, I want to just share my heart with you about some things that I want to encourage you about and I want to challenge you with, and that is that I don't want you to lose sight of who you are. I don't want you to lose sight of who you're called to be. I want to, I want to share just a couple of scriptures with you today, and one comes from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, starting in, in verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18 just to set some context for a scripture that I think is very relevant for us today. I'm reading from the ESV, and this is what it says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment before I carry on to make sure that you hear, because when, when Peter makes this confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you because... Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Did you know that, that, that exchange with Peter is exactly the same exchange. It's the same truth for you and I. When you and I come to a place in our life where we look at Jesus and we say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When we do that in our lives, Jesus looks at us and he says, blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. If you're a believer today, you are blessed because that, that coming to faith, that coming to belief didn't happen in the natural. It didn't happen in the ordinary. That's something that comes supernaturally and it's revealed to us. And he goes on to say to Peter, after making this bold confession, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And here's what I want us to think about for a moment. You are Peter, and on this rock, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a short verse. No three points in a poem need to go with it. It's just... It just is there. It's right there in front of us for us to understand and to see as, as he makes this statement to Peter that I'm going to build my church upon you. I'm going to build my church upon that confession that Peter just made. And he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We see in those words Jesus saying something 
He's saying, listen, I'm going to build my church and that church is going to have impact. I'm going to build my church and that church is going to face opposition. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. Maybe we think about hell as just being that thing, that place after we die, judgment for those who don't know Christ. Maybe that's the way we think of it, but I think we need to think as a church a little bit additional to that when it comes to the gates of hell because when it comes to this idea of the gates of hell and the church prevailing against it, there needs to be more understanding of the present tense gates of hell. Just look around. I don't mean look around in here. Just look around in life. You realize that the gates of hell are all around us. There's all kinds of evil, wickedness, despair, all kinds of bondage, all kinds of things that is destroying people's lives. The gates of hell are all around us. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to build a church and that church is going to prevail against the gates of hell. Jesus says in his first words about the church is the church will be victorious. I want you to know today, Cornerstone, that the community needs what you have. The community needs what you have in this house. You have genuine hearts. You have a desire to love. You have progressive thinking in this house. You have worship. You have generosity. You're not handicapped by tradition. You're not in bondage to debt. You're not stuck in denominational thinking. There's really low ego in this place. That's rare, even in the church. There's no power struggles as a part of this body. This body is diverse. This body has a heart for people. The the message that this church carries, this community needs. You have a lot of pieces You have a lot of pieces, so many things working in your favor. So many good things that you can grow into and accomplish. So many lives that you can impact. But if I can issue a challenge, let me say these words to you in relationship to all of that context that I just shared. You have all these things working for you. But you got to want it. You gotta want it. It doesn't just happen. Becoming all that we can be as a church doesn't just happen. We don't just wake up one day and go, wow, that's amazing. 
we got to want it. There's another passage that I want to share with you. One of my favorites is Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, again, speaks to, speaks to this church and the mindset that, that we must have. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine or ask or th and think according to His power that is at work within us. You know, what I notice in that passage, in that incredible promise that we see in verse 20, is that you see kind of His role and our role. I don't know if you caught that or not, but you see His role and our role. As a matter of fact, you see God's role on each side, and you see our role sandwiched in the middle. You see, His role is this. His part is that He's able to do more abundantly. And it goes on later in that passage to say this, according to His power that is at work. When it comes to who we become as a church, you first need to understand that, that, it, that there's God's part to this. He's the one doing it. He's the one who is able. He's the one who can do exceedingly, abundantly more. It's His power that does it. But don't miss what's sandwiched in between those two things in this passage. As it says these words, that He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. Do you catch our part? Our part is asking and thinking and imagining. God's part is when we ask to come in and do it because He's the one with the power. He's the one who can do it. He's the one who can do beyond what we can ask for and beyond what we can think and beyond what we can imagine. But there is a role that you and I must play. What are you asking to become, church? What are you asking to become? What are you imagining? You've got to believe it. You've got to want it. You've got to dig in. You've got to fight for it. That's our part. You know, I've shared with you several times Through the past five years, I've shared with you several times my favorite words about the church. I know that I don't remember most of what anybody else preaches that I hear. I know that you don't remember 
the words that I preach. I probably have shared this at least two or three times, so maybe you'll remember me reading this to you. These are my favorite words when it comes to the life of the church, and they are by Bill Hybels, who pastors up in Chicago. And he begins by saying that the church is the hope of the world. How about that for, to raise the bar for you? The church is the hope of the world. He says there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in its community. It builds, it builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, Bill Hybels says, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Cornerstone Church was established in 2008. Ironically, I happened to be here filling in for a Sunday, the Sunday that you announced that the name of this church was going to be Cornerstone. I remember it vividly because I had come prepared with a message and somebody snuck up to me and told me, hey, we've decided this week that Cornerstone's going to be the name of the church. And we're announcing that today. And so I ditched my sermon and I preached on a different text. That text that I preached on that day was from 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me share a couple of these scriptures with you. Speaking to believers, speaking to the church. Peter says these words. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. That's the church. He goes on to say, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It goes on later in that same chapter to say that you are a chosen race. He's not talking about a race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. He's not talking about a nation. He's talking about you, the church. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now 
you have received mercy. You have a great name, church. You have a great name, Cornerstone. Named after our Savior. You have a great calling, Cornerstone. To declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. The message Bible says it this way. Speak out for Him. To tell others of the night and day difference He has made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. So my words to you this morning as I wrap up is to not settle. Don't settle, Cornerstone. Don't settle. Don't just be common. Don't just be ordinary. Don't just be okay. Don't just be another church. My challenge for you is to dig in, to want it, to invest, to give, to get out of your comfort zone, to step out, to do more. I have high hopes for you, Cornerstone. This next season for you is going to be a season of growth. It's going to be a season of maturity. It's going to be a season of advancement. It's a season of hope. God has a plan for you, has a plan for me. God has a plan for each of us. But we have to want it. Cornerstone no longer has a temporary status. I've mentioned to you before that when I came, I felt like there was a little bit of a temporary status about Cornerstone. Cornerstone no longer has a temporary status. My challenge is for you to dig in, to lead the way, to let the cornerstone make you a cornerstone for this community. I want to share one last scripture for you as I wrap up. These are just my thoughts, my personal thoughts that happen to be written right here in the book of Philippians. And I share this with you in closing. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you um, for this body of believers and what you have done here and what you're going to do. Thank you for these people who know how to love. May that only increase.
because this community so desperately needs it. And it's in Christ's name. Amen.